Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode of Tech Intersect, I speak with Bartlett D. Morgan, who shares his perspectives on data privacy in Barbados as well as the Caribbean at large, and shares key practical steps that organizations can and must take to develop and manage robust privacy compliance programs that reflect the realities of a global digital world. We also talk more generally about ways for individuals to remain safer when communicating and transacting online. And this includes ways to protect your devices and safeguard your data. You know what time it is. Time to listen, learn, and leverage. So let's get started. Bartlett D. Morgan is a lawyer and an internet policy specialist. He's a senior associate in the Barbados office at Lex Caribbean, and his areas of practice include commercial litigation, restructuring, and insolvency, just to name a few. His professional interests include data protection, IP disputes, digital media, and telecom. It's an honor and true pleasure to have you on the show today, Bartlett. So welcome. Oh, thank you very much, Tanya. It's really a pleasure for me to be here. Excellent. I'm so glad that our Twitter lives connected in an amazing way. And we are now not exactly in real life, but more real life than Twitter real yes. life. So um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I followed your work and I'm really excited to learn more from you and more about all the exciting and innovative things in data privacy and protection going on in the Caribbean at large, but in Bar uh, Barbados in particular. And where I want to start is, and I ask this of all of my guests in various ways, about your origin story. So yes. your background is really interesting. I've read up, but I want you to share that with the listeners for your background, your expertise. And I think we can both agree your very healthy obsession <laughs> with data <laughs> privacy. So talk to me about that. How did... <laughs> so talk to me. What's your origin story? So, I mean, professionally, I'm... I'm actually from Jamaica. I live in Barbados now, but I'm from Jamaica, which is like halfway across the Caribbean. And uh, while there, uh, my first professional life had nothing to do with law. I was actually in information technology, mm. uh, in particular IT in higher education. I worked at a university. And so that was that always sort of, you know, um, sort of fostered my own interest in technology and applying technology to solve problems, that kind of a thing. And right. uh, so... Eventually, I realized that I love technology, but my real interest was from the, the perspective of policy mm -hmm. and, you know, shaping the laws and the framework in which you apply the technology. And so I went off to law school to study law. And um, after studying law, I landed at Lex Caribbean, which is where I am now. It's, it's a regional law firm uh, in their Barbados office. And so jumped up, moved countries. And so... As a professional, I've always wanted to find ways to sort of connect my different interests, technology with law and policy. 
And right. so over the years as a lawyer, even though my, my strict uh, practice areas initially was really just typical, you know, litigation, restructuring, employment, that kind of a thing. Over time, I've, I've managed to find a way to sort of like meld them, both in terms of my legal work and even outside. Um, initially, I was involved with technology and policy because of my work in the internet governance space. So right. I've been involved for like a few years in um, ICANN, which is the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. Basically, they're one of those organizations that help to make sure that the internet works. We don't need to get into the details, but it's really a great training ground for seeing technology policy like evolve over time and get shaped by multiple persons and that kind of a thing. And so that was really great for me. But professionally, over time, because I've always been interested in both technology and law and how they intersect, one of the natural talking points over the past maybe four or five years in the Caribbean has been privacy and how Mm -hmm. that fits into everything we're doing, you know, commercially and just in terms of the everyday lives of people, that kind of a thing. And so initially, it wasn't necessarily professional in the sense of being paid to do it. This was just pure curiosity. Right. Just reading, trying to understand. And each time you read something else, you go, wow, this is amazing. And I don't know about other persons, but for me, if I really want to learn something well, I tend to put myself under the gun. So I right. like write an article which puts me, you know, it opens me up to the public gaze. Because obviously, if you get it wrong, then somebody's going to say, hey, you're wrong. So right. with, that kind of, <laughs> with that sort of uh, I guess threat or over my head, I said, let's start doing that. So obviously I'd have to be well-researched. So I started reading more, understanding more, talking to more persons in the space, networking. Um, and I also started talking about what I'd learned. And eventually that sort of transformed from just a sort of intellectual pursuit to clients starting to ask questions as the environment started to change more in the Caribbean with the laws changing and that kind of a thing. Absolutely. And and as you describe your, you know, that's that rabbit hole experience yes. where you fall down the rabbit hole, you learn something that leads to 10 more questions that lead to yes. 20 more answers and so on and so forth. And also trying to find the connection to things that you may already do to see how that fits in and makes sense for you. And so I very much had the same path in blockchain, crypto assets, distributed ledger technology. I originally was looking at it when I certainly fell down the rabbit hole and didn't come up for about 30 days. I uh, (laughs) watched everything I could on YouTube. I read everything. I'm a lifelong learner and I hear that in your story as well to really get under the hood and figure things out. Oh, yes. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm definitely a believer in lifelong learning. It's not just something you do in the ivory towers of an academic institution. It's, it should be part and parcel of your life. And, you know, there's this thing that I was told, I remember when I just started practicing law, there's this older lawyer who said to me, no knowledge is ever wasted. Mm. It's like at the time, well, what do you mean knowledge is never wasted? I mean, if I'm a specialist in this, then I only need to know about this. And, you know, you know how young lawyers are. And with time and experience, I've come to appreciate the wisdom of what he's saying. Uh, No matter how narrow that knowledge is that you picked up in some random place doing some random thing, at some point, it may become useful. It may become a useful tool in your professional arsenal, depending on where you end up. So definitely, I've taken that approach to how I uh, deal with things professionally and how I try to develop myself. That's fantastic. And you certainly have become an expert in this field. So let's talk about your data privacy work in the Caribbean in general, Barbados yes. in particular. 
I, as I read up in preparation for the interview, and and certainly knowing what's going on in the broader landscape globally, that yes. privacy rules affecting all businesses, but certainly Caribbean businesses are becoming stricter. And yes. and in some sense, legislators and regulators may be facing the headwinds of regulations in other places. When you have GDPR and uh, oh, yes. GDRP, excuse me, um, and some of the other things going on, which led to, or maybe you'll tell us, uh, the origin of the Barbados Data Protection Act and and yes. and how that came to be and, and why. So talk to us about those key initiatives, and, and then we'll yes. get to some other practical steps uh, a yes. bit later. Sure. So, like, there are a number of things going on in the the Caribbean space. So, like, just like Lee, I'd say the the framework or the lay of the land in maybe 11 years ago of all the countries in the Caribbean um, and depending on how you define Caribbean, because the definition varies, right. are you talking English speaking? Are we talking CARICOM, CARIFORUM? All these things have different definitions, but in the main prior to maybe 10 years ago, only perhaps two countries of potentially 20 plus countries had actual meaningful data privacy laws Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like the Bahamas and St. Vincent. Uh, way back like in the early 2000s, they both passed privacy laws. And it was just like absolute silence in the region for years. But then in the past 10 years or so, a number of jurisdictions have just been passing laws, passing laws, mm-hmm. like right in the center of Trinidad, uh, Barbados recently, St. Lucia, Antigua, and Jamaica's about to pass, Suriname is looking to pass. A number of jurisdictions have been passing laws. The Dominican Republic, you name it. And so there's almost been almost something of an awakening. Um, and it's 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 come more or less from two, from I'd say external and internal sort of push factors. So externally, lots of the Caribbean jurisdictions are party to this trade arrangement with Europe. It's called the EPA, and that means the Economic Partnership Agreement. And one Mm -hmm. of the terms of that agreement was that essentially all the parties had to sign on uh, or agree to pass privacy laws in their different jurisdictions in the Caribbean. And so this was something they agreed to. Uh, They had a certain time frame within which they had to do it. And so in order to be in compliance, lots of jurisdictions started passing laws. That was one of the reasons. But I think just even outside of that, I think many jurisdictions, the governments have sort of become aware of the reality that they have their own digital agendas for their countries. Because I think it's fairly clear to everyone now that unless your development agenda includes an element of the digital and transitioning services and so on online and getting your people online and being fully equipped to live full lives with a digital extension at the very least, then you're pretty much failing the people you serve. And so I think even within the jurisdictions themselves, there has been a recognition that they need to have a framework in place for allowing persons and businesses and processes to transition online. And a big part of that framework is privacy. Uh, And and again, forgive me for, for being perhaps a bit academic, but the reality is there's this kind of like almost formula, which is privacy and a privacy framework tends to lead to trust, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on a, on a number of levels. Trust in the sense that, well, if something goes wrong, there's some kind of recourse. You know, if you take my personal data and you breach it, there's some kind of recourse. That kind of a thing is important. In addition to that, there's trust in that, well, if you're putting in all this effort into securing my data, then I trust your product and I want to engage with your product, whatever that product right. is, your app, your cool new website, 
whatever it is, I'm more likely to want to engage with it if you you have built privacy into that product offering. And so all these factors have been, I think, impacting the kind of landscape we have now in the Caribbean. And you could even zone in perhaps on Barbados, where we've recently passed an act and it is on the face of it, it's very similar to mm-hmm. what you'd see in the GDPR out of the European Union in terms of a lot of the rights and the, you know, the, the timeframes and the, the processes involved. It's very, very similar. And I think that speaks to sort of a general just awareness of best practices in right. other jurisdictions. And, you know, the truth is the Europeans, uh, they are sort of like the trailblazers for privacy and, you know, raising, I think, the importance of privacy in all aspects of our lives. They've had, you know, something of a, you could say, almost a healthy obsession, you know, for many decades, given their, you know, unique history and so on. And I think that's led to them, you know, taking the lead in passing comprehensive privacy laws going back decades in some jurisdictions in in, in the European Union. And so they've had lots of experience with what works and what doesn't work. And so when they came with the the GDPR, one of the things you notice is that lots of other jurisdictions around the world and even states in the U.S. have sort of taken cues from the GDPR in terms of the best practices that can be adopted, uh, you know, in their local circumstances. So, for example, this concept of meaningful extraterritoriality is this thing that we talk about in privacy circles all the time, which basically means although you pass your laws within X country, it could potentially apply to someone outside of your country, depending on what they're doing. Um, right. So the GDPR made that a big deal. And so lots of companies in the U.S. and the Caribbean everywhere just started paying attention, especially when they were trading, uh, you know, providing services into Europe. And so we've seen adoption of features like that in the Barbados Act and lots of other things, things like, you know, short time frame for breach notification, which is basically you're running a business, something has gone wrong with the data. There's been a breach, you know, uh, of some sort or the other. And, you know, you now have a time frame within which you have to tell the regulator that something has gone wrong. And this is like right. three days we're talking, you know, which is really sharp, which tells you how, how seriously uh, they're taking the issue of privacy and protecting it and, and limiting uh, negative follows from data breaches, that kind of a thing. And so what you'll notice with the Barbados Act is actually a wider trend in the entire Caribbean, which is the more recent acts are very much similar to the GDPR, they're similar to the stuff you'd see in the CCPA out of California, that kind of a thing. And so that's pretty much how we've, I'd say, gotten here in terms of the kind of legislation you're seeing in the jurisdictions now. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's fantastic. And it also speaks to this idea of governments moving to smart status. Um, yes. And I know that you uh, recently yes. wrote about this transition. I know yeah. that you had a great deal to do with marking up the bill that is now an act. Um, yes. And in some of your writings recently, you explained that Barbados is moving to advance a digital development agenda. Yes. Right? And, and that this is an integral part and parcel of that. And central to this effort is, uh, you may have mentioned a bit ago, is this idea of an appropriate consumer protection framework. 
And yes. this is an essential part of that. This might be the, the backbone if we're really talking yes. about a, a framework, right? So yes. the passage of the comprehensive data protection legislation that is critical to that effort. But talk yes. to the listeners a bit more about what that means. You've touched on, on some of that, but also why Barbados in particular is so invested in this transition. So here's what I'd say. I, a few, let's say a year and a half ago, uh, the, the their national elections and a new government came into power. And one of the first things they did was to announce a specialized ministry. And one of the, the, the things that the specialized ministry would deal with was not just technology, but smart technology. Like that's literally a part of the name, uh, which tells you everything about the agenda and the direction that the, the, the Barbados government is going in right now. And I think that is in large part in, in cognizance of the reality of uh, certainly small island developing states and the reality that we don't have huge resources to throw around to you know uh, fit different changes in the global economy and so on. And so we, we don't necessarily have lots of raw materials that we could trade and export and that kind of a thing. And so a lot of our value is in services. This is 2020. Most services are being delivered or mediated digitally. And right. so it made absolute sense that in that context that you'd want to pass legislation that kind of lays down that sort of uh, that sort of framework to allow people, to allow businesses to more comfortably go about this thing, which is necessary, which is getting your people online, but in a safe way. Uh, and in a way where people feel vested and comfortable in changing their practices from doing everything manually to doing it digitally. And right. Yeah. The reality is, I mean, we, we need the internet and, you know, modern technologies for a number of things, uh, education, connecting with family and friends, accessing meaningful resources. And so if you've managed to lay a meaningful framework where people feel comfortable doing those things, then half of the battle is won in terms of transitioning your people online. So I think that was, I think, really phenomenal that they've taken this sort of approach to ensure that the overall framework, the consumer framework, is adapted to the digital age. And so you, you'll see that reflected in, in the legislation, the privacy legislation, even the generic you know, um, consumer rights legislation that's already in place. It's sort of, it's more or less, I'd say, technology agnostic. And so even though it's not necessarily written specifically for the internet, it's so broad and so crafted that it, it comfortably covers a lot of situations that consumers will find themselves in when you're doing business online, you're buying stuff online, that kind of a thing. Right. Well, let's talk about that some more because that leads to a discussion around data extraction and collection by private companies, certainly by governments, and of course, the bad actors uh, yes. of the world as well. And that's, you know... that. Data extraction and collection is a primary focus, given the value that we all speak about of data, mm -hmm. of course, being the new oil, as it were. Yes. You said there are so many areas and places and countries that don't actively manufacture things, as you mentioned. We're focused uh, very much on services and services that are driven and implemented uh, online. And, yes. and that's certainly having an impact on an individual's ability to navigate and avoid, mitigate the biggest dangers and challenges uh, when interacting and transacting on the internet. 
So let's talk about something that you recently shared as well. And, and I love this very much. I will drop this in the show notes. It was a 2020 privacy checkup. Yes. And it got to some key areas of four recommendations. I'll list them and we can unpack them a little bit together. But the four recommendations of being safer, I don't know that you could ever be truly safe, but certainly uh, be proactive in terms of being safer as a consumer. So the four steps that were mentioned, uh, get a password manager, do a cleanup of online accounts, don't use the public internet without a VPN. And I certainly swear by that. <laughs> and uh, particularly as much as I travel, but you don't have to travel far for that to be an issue. And then avoid most IOT or internet of things devices. I just had a very good uh, discussion about that with Alan Silberberg, who's a yes. cybersecurity e expert. Um, I'll drop a link to that episode in the show notes as well, but let's talk about that. Password managers, a cleanup of online accounts, VPNs, and stay yes. away from the IOT. Alexa, don't listen anymore. <laughs> Turn yourself off and go out of this house. I don't want to ring. I don't want anything. I want everything out of this house. So talk to me. Absolutely. So the, uh, I mean, let, let's face it. Privacy has to be practical, first of all. You know, it has to be a practical thing before anything else. And I think in that way, you know, you have to take practical steps to actually secure your privacy you know this isn't just about you know government passing legislation i mean so what if a, if your government passes some laws that says okay well you know your data should be protected just because it should be doesn't mean that it is and right. it also doesn't divorce you from your responsibilities to do your part to protect your data so in the main this whole idea of a password manager i think it, it really just falls in line with the reality of the world we live in in 2020 going forward much more of what we do in our lives every day is mediated by the internet, you know, and right. by digital devices and services. And naturally, you know, most persons will know as a first step, provide some kind of security mechanism where you can provide credentials of some sort, maybe a password or what have you. Right. And, and so then you can access the services. But the reality is with all these services and increasing number of services that are now online, what it means is the average human being, you can't remember that stuff. And writing them down on a list somewhere that you keep by your desk is probably a really <laughs> bad idea. You know, I mean, no judgment, but it's probably not the best idea. Even right. though as an aside, the truth is, I think like if you audited most persons, the truth is most persons, even persons in the privacy space will tell you, yeah, I've written down a password here and there on my desk. From Absolutely. Time. You know, right. if we're just being real here. But the truth is the, the, there, the, there are practical ways to manage this new reality. And the password manager, I think, is one of them. You know, whether it's uh, PassPack or LastPass or any of these other KeyPass, any of these other popular um, apps and software titles out there for protecting your passwords and storing them in, in, in one place. I think it's a great right. idea because you no longer have to worry about knowing every single password for all the different services that you use, especially if you're trying to do the right thing and have different passwords for all your different services, you know, so then it, it's just a practical step. Once you've gotten different passwords to ensure that you can remember them and that you can right. access them in a meaningful way. So essentially, no, with the password manager, you just need one password that you will use to access your password manager. And once you're in, 
then you're able to quickly and easily access all your different web services, your work email, your home email, your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, your, you know, whatever it is you're doing online, you know, all the different cool apps that are coming out that you want to try out. Uh, at least now you can do it in a more secure way without having to worry every single time or try to rack your brain every single time. Okay, what do I need? What do I need? What do I need? We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. The Tech Intersect podcast is released to the public every Friday. But as an Advantage Evans member, you'll receive first listen access and live Tech Intersect Connect video chats. Premium members also receive a copy of my ebook, The Gen Xer's Guide to Upskilling in a Web 3.0 World, and unlimited access to the video chat replays and bonus episodes. My pro members, ready to leverage what they've listened to and learned, receive access to the Upskilling Self Guided course and VIP group coaching calls. So as you can see, Advantage Evans membership adds substantial value to your podcast experience. And there are three ways to take advantage. <laughs> see what I did right there? Of all that the Tech Intersect podcast has to offer. So subscribe now and let's listen, learn, and leverage together. And now, back to the conversation. I've seen this actually benefit families if someone unfortunately passes on. Oh, yes. And the ability to manage digital assets, to gain easier access to account information and the yeah. necessary things of winding up estates. And that could be an important reason for people to, to look into password managers mm. as well. I'll have some additional advice about the specific ones that you listed and, and how to properly vet what might be the best one for you. But I really do think that one of the most important things we can do is to have a password manager in place. Yes, absolutely. And, and not a sticky note that is yes. next to your, your, <laughs> next to your desk. You know, <laughs> right. like there's this really good, good illustration of, you know, having some kind of manager that hopefully, in theory, some other trusted person could perhaps access in the worst case scenario. You know, right. there is this case, I think, in, in the, actually the blockchain space, I you know, can't remember the name of the, the company that was involved, but essentially yes. the person who was behind it, he passed and... Mm. Um, and then essentially nobody could access the resource that, 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 that he had provided, you know, to a yes. number of persons. I, you know, I think, he, you know, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I, I remember coming across a headline going, my goodness, you know, this could have really been avoided if there was at least one trusted person or, you know, some trusted persons, you know, whether you're a lawyer or maybe a close family member who at least had access to maybe a password manager or something like that. We could have Absolutely. In, in a worst case scenario to go, okay, well, here's what this is, you know? So an entire business wouldn't have to die because that's right. what happened in that case. 
Yes, that's the uh, Quadriga CX case. Yes. And about 190 million or so, but who's counting uh, everybody who lost money um, yes. <laughs> uh, through that. Uh, and that is an ongoing concern. I, that's actually a very interesting story. I will drop that in the show notes as well. All yeah. right, that's password manager. So I was thinking of this idea of the next one, cleaning up online accounts. And yes. some of that is, you know, oftentimes when people sign up for social media, Facebook is the most glaring example. Yes. That, you know, I grew up in a time where you opt you know, you have the presumption of privacy, even though it probably is was a faux presumption. We just weren't yes. as connected at that time. And then you would opt into an experience for the, the benefits that a particular online platform would have in terms of connection. But every picture, every I'm here now, I'm at the yes. coffee shop right now. And, and when we've come to learn that signaling, and in fact, I travel a lot, but I almost never post a picture of where I am in the moment. It's always yes. um, looking back. Yes. By the time people see my awesome vacation pictures, I am long gone. I assure yes. you. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, you I'm somewhat similar as well. You know, I, I don't post lots of information about, well, certainly not time sensitive information unless I have to. Right. Uh, you won't necessarily learn anything about my family life or home life. Right. I'm going even on my, my social media pages, you know, uh, because I'm more mindful now of right. how the information you put out there can impact, you know, the ability of others to triangulate and figure out other details of your life without you being complicit in that process or being, you know, right. a part of that process. And so for me, I think cleaning your house digitally is like one of those routine things you ought to do from time to time, because here's the reality. Uh, most persons nowadays, I mean, you're not going to necessarily create like a fresh new password for every single website you're on. Yeah. Uh, ideally, you perhaps should, but most persons usually you go the easy route, which is logging via Facebook or logging via you know your your Gmail account or something like that, because it's just easy. But then there are lots of problems that can come from that. You know, when you've used some service because it was really cool and trendy, but then six years later nobody's on there, you've forgotten about it. But guess what? You still gave it access. <laughs> you know, right. uh, to some of your other resources that you use to log in and that kind of a thing, perhaps your Facebook and what have you. And depending on the nature of the access you gave it, it can continue to like, you know, collect information from you. And what happens when that third-party service that's no longer popular, cool, uh, gets hacked, then potentially that's access to some of your data there, that kind of a thing. And so it's important, I think generally, just to always do these checks to go, okay, well, what am I not using anymore? Let right. me disconnect that from my ecosystem of digital services, so to speak, you know, so it no longer has access to these other things, which themselves may also lead to access to other digital services. You never know. And so Absolutely. it's important just to do that check every now and again, fairly routinely. You know, I mean, cleaning house digitally for me also means things like routinely changing certain passwords. The things that, you know, host the data that's like very fundamental to me. I try. I mean, again, we fail all the time. We're human beings. Uh, sure. But I certainly try to, for example, change certain passwords on a routine schedule so that, you know, even if there is some kind of a breach and someone does have access to, you know, they've managed to, you know, break into some website and they've managed to crack into the database and they, they, they've unhashed everything. They could see, okay, username, password. Hopefully by the time they've gotten that data, I've changed my passwords already. So that information that they have on me is obsolete. It's practical stuff like that. And it even goes to like the stuff we've talked about generally, which is, I mean, in terms of, you know, your, your, your digital host, look at the information that's publicly available, because this isn't necessarily right. about some 
some nefarious guy in the back room hacking away and trying to crack passwords and stuff. Sometimes it's social. It's persons looking at your social media and going, ah, you're here. Oh, well, you're not home. Hmm. <laughs> right. You know, uh, it's, it's really just like objectively and auditing, you know, how you appear and the information you share about your life online and just being mindful of that and not getting kind of sucked into this, this idea of wanting to share everything. I mean, transparency is great, but uh, when done mindfully. Right. Because it can come at a cost and yes. uh, you, you're constantly weighing and assessing risks, but sometimes yes. you don't even know what is lurking just behind. We, you take some reasonable precautions, but you never know what's operating in the background. And yes. sometimes for a private company or government, there's a hacking. Other times there's we've opted in to permissions that we didn't read and don't understand about their ability to then sell that information and yes. monetize it in certain ways. We've seen that as an example with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. Mm. And, and so there are a lot of times where you don't know what you've given up and, and yes. on uh, platforms like Facebook that you actually have to opt into privacy and they make it very difficult to opt into privacy. There are 17 yes. steps in order to do that. So be mindful of the cleanup. You can also, uh, moving on to the third, never use a public internet without a VPN. So I think, again, the travel example is a good one or the coffee shop example, of course. So yes. in an airport, or in a coffee shop or in a public space where you have public Wi-Fi, always having this virtual private network, which enables you to send and receive data while remaining anonymous and secure yes. online. So talk about the benefits of that. Well, I mean, it's it's almost, I'm, I probably shouldn't say it's self-evident because perhaps it's not to a lot of people because right. lots of people don't do it. But the, the idea is if you're in a public network, the kind you access probably especially the kinds that don't require passwords and the kind of thing you can just hop on quickly you're in an airport you're in a public space a library you know you know you name it then odds are the ability for bad actors to access that network and by extension pay attention and extract the data that's passing along that network it's it's a lot easier potentially and so if you use public networks then you increase the risk that your data could be intercepted by third parties uh, who could then use that for all kinds of different purposes that are obviously not in your interest. And so it makes sense to create some kind of mechanism that shields what you're doing in terms of the websites you're accessing and that kind of a thing, the emails you're checking from unwanted third parties viewing that information. And that's what the, the VPNs do. The VPN is a virtual private network, and it's a really good mechanism for doing just that. No, actually, here's where it gets really funny because what was the other day I, I was on a public network and I tried to run my VPN and it wouldn't mm -hmm. allow my VPN to connect. Mm -hmm. So I disconnected the whole thing. I said, it's not worth it. Uh, so eventually I started talking to some colleagues in IT and what they've been explained to me is that lots of public networks now or more and more public networks nowadays they are actually preventing VPNs because it now creates a situation where a bad actor may legitimately log on and then use a VPN to prevent anybody, including the person running the, net the network, the public Wi-Fi, from seeing that they're actually trying to, you know, funnel information, you know, within a particular network that, that mm. you know, public Wi-Fi is associated with. 
and that kind of a thing. And so now it's creating a situation where persons are now preventing VPN access. So this is an interesting sort of new scenario that we haven't quite figured out, well, what's the best way to deal with situations like that beyond simply saying, well, I'm just not going to use that particular public network that won't allow me to use a VPN right now. But it's certainly wow. an interesting development, I think, for persons to be mindful of. Uh, you know, just because you've gotten a VPN and you, you pat yourself on your back, yes, I'm doing the privacy thing that, you know, my IT guy told me to do, that may not be enough. So you now have to be mindful of ens- of ensuring that your VPN actually does connect properly, because then otherwise, you know, you may be running the risk of thinking you're, you're, you're secure and, and transferring right. information securely, but you're actually not. Yes. So that's definitely an interesting one. Wow. That is a lot to unpack. So do your homework, do yes. your own research, as we say, to make sure that you are protected and what your options are in terms of utilizing VPNs. And yes. finally, IoT is what I yes. also refer to as <laughs> OMG. Um, <laughs> when I think of all of the ways that we are transitioning from Web 2.0, which really allowed peer-to-peer connections and a more dynamic interaction with content. We are not just passive recipients in Web 2.0 of information, but also content creators. And, you know, we have more of a decentralized or distributed web, not the blockchain distributed web, but certainly more distributed. And as we usher in Web 3.0 with, among other things, you know, when I think of artificial intelligence and machine learning, certainly blockchain. Yes. One of the things that impacts people, excuse me, the most, the Internet of Things, IoT, all of the devices that are smart, a word that we used earlier. We have smart lights and cameras and locks and thermostats and garage doors, speakers, God help us. Uh, Washing machines evidently want to talk to each other. They want to talk to the vacuum cleaner and refrigerators want to talk to I don't know who. Right. And of course, smart TVs and the ultimate (laughs) that's not just, you know, not just around the corner. It's now smart cars. Right. We have the Teslas of the world and everything short of that. So these devices are communicating with each other and transmitting data. They're incredibly vulnerable to attacks. And so let's spend a little time talking about IoT and avoiding them and and why we might want to avoid them. So IoT devices, you know, the reality is they are now part and parcel of the landscape that we're operating in. Like you mentioned, you know, from your refrigerator, your car, uh, you name it, all kinds of devices in all kinds of different circumstances. Those cute little devices from Google or, you know, (laughs) Amazon that you can say, hey, you know, what's the the temperature outside or whatever, or, you know, you know, play me some good music. They're all technically (laughs) IoT devices, Internet of Thing devices. And, uh, And so... The reality of these devices and why I think there's something of a security risk in in many cases is to ensure that they work in as many different circumstances as possible, I guess sort of to almost idiot-proof them, to ensure that whoever the consumer is, that their IoT device actually works. What it tends to translate to practically is that not as much security is actually baked into these products. And Mm. so, or if any at all. And so essentially you just have what amounts to an open device just sitting there on the internet. And one of the things you, you you come to appreciate with time is that if your device is wide open, it's just a matter of time before some bad actor realizes it's there and tries to use it for some purpose beyond what it was designed to do. And a, a good example of that is, is things like, uh, I mean, most persons have probably heard of things like a botnet attack. 
right. essentially where you know a bad actor has essentially quietly captured a bunch of devices and then uses all of these devices en masse to essentially send lots of traffic to a target to essentially, for example, in usual example, shut down a website. And, um, and so unwittingly, because your device, your IoT device has no meaningful security baked into it, it means that your device that you bought, which you think is really awesome, and it probably is, uh, is now unwittingly part and parcel of, of that botnet. And, and so obviously that's a negative, but even outside of that, I mean, obviously it opens a possibility that if you have a device that's within your home that can do things like listen and, you know, transmit information from within your personal spaces, it means then that a bad actor could, for example, use that device to listen in onto your conversations, have a sense of who you are. And again, that's in and of itself is a huge security breach. And, and so you want to, in situations where the security framework is not as mature as yet to perhaps hold back right now, unless you've satisfied yourself that that device is fairly solid. You probably may not want to just jump on the hype train, which is just how things tend to work nowadays. Absolutely. And I think people rely, you know, back to the, one of the other words you mentioned and connections, this connection between privacy and trust and the goodwill that is built up in a lot of legacy companies or famous marks around the world, there's the assumption and presumption that it's coming from this corporation. It's a worldwide brand. It must be safe. And your point is, it's giving you the opportunity to connect and interact in meaningful ways without the back end support of the security that we would expect that that type of company would, would provide. And so it's good that we continue to have conversations like this to raise consumer awareness, because yes. as you also said, we can pass all the laws and have all the regulations for consumer protection in the world. But if we are also as consumers, not proactive, we leave ourselves vulnerable in those gaps and spaces where yes. regs and legislation just can't go. Yes, absolutely. So we could go on all day. I just looked up and I don't want to take up any more of your valuable time. And this is an info rich and and really wonderful conversation about some really important and and interesting things. I want to make sure that listeners can continue to connect with you and your work. So please tell them how they can do that. Oh, so to keep up with me and what I'm thinking about, what I'm doing, you could visit my website, which is bartlettmorgan.com, B-A-R-T-L-E-T-T.com. Or you can find me on Twitter, which is at Bartlett Morgan. Excellent. Thank you so much for the work that you are doing and for sharing your expertise in this wonderful conversation today. And I will see you on the Twitterverse. Yes. And thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure being here today. Many thanks to Bartlett Morgan for sharing all of this forward thinking and important data privacy work going on in the Caribbean, Barbados in particular. Privacy rules affecting Caribbean businesses are becoming stricter and facing the headwinds of regulations, most notably the Barbados Data Protection Act. So it's really important to stay abreast of the key initiatives and the practical steps for Caribbean organizations to develop and to manage robust privacy compliance programs. And central to this effort for Barbados and all countries, really, is an appropriate consumer protection framework. And something for us all. 
be sure to check out the 2020 Privacy Checkup and follow the four recommendations asapidly, like right now, like Iorita. Get a password manager. Clean up your online accounts. Don't use public internet without a VPN, like ever. And avoid most IoT, Internet of Things, devices. And finally, the Phoenix Rising virtual summit I mentioned in the last episode was amazing. We had stellar keynotes and speakers, Minda Hartz, the author of The Memo, money coach Lynette Calfani-Cox, and a surprise guest, Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time and founder of Backstage Capital. They all shared strategies and actionable steps on how to crisis-proof your career, your money, and your mind. It's really evergreen information, information that you can come back to time and again. So we've made available for immediate, unlimited streaming access, the entire Summit and Fireside Q&A. Originally, that was valued at $99. It will be only $50. You have lifetime, 24-7, 365 access. Visit phoenixrisingsummit.com to get started. Crisis-proof your future today. Okay, that's all for now. Until next time, stay well, be encouraged, and continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media. On Twitter, at at Tech Intersect. And on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.